0: They look to the left. Now they go for the middle. Back of the end zone. Caught touchdown. Kansas City. Travis Kelsey with the touchdown reception from Patrick Mahomes. McKinnon stationed to his left. Kelsey, the walking boss, goes in motion. To the left. They flood the left side. Caught by Kelsey and into the end zone. Touchdown. Kansas City. Mahomes takes the snap at the one in the five. In trouble, moves out past Crosby. Fires it late, Kelsey at the catch, inside the 10. Stiff arms one, now two, now three. Stumbles into the end zone. Touchdown, Kansas City. A hat trick for Travis Kelsey. An eight-yard touchdown catch, his third TD of the night. And the Chiefs have the lead for the first time in the game. 24-23, Chiefs. First down and goal to go at the one. They're going to throw it. Near side it is. Core, touchdown. three, four touchdown receptions. You're locked in the press box.
1: Lindsey Brown is in studio today as Ed Graney is presumably flying home from Kansas city. We have um, a lot to get to on the show today. The NHL season gets started. The golden Knights are taking on the Kings, the NL and ALDS get started today. 10 o'clock. You can hear that the Phillies and Braves uh, right here on ESPN Las Vegas after our show. But we start with the Raiders. The first bite. Did Josh McDaniels lose the game by going for two? Raiders down seven points. They score with 427 to go. Lead is 30 to 29, and they come out and go for two. Josh Jacobs got stuffed on the two point play, inches away from. The goal line and the Raiders ended up losing by that exact score line 30 to 29. You think Josh McDaniels made the right choice to go for two?
2: I don't know if he necessarily made the wrong choice. And the key thing for me is how much time was left on the clock. Like a lot of people are saying there's 429. Like, why wouldn't you just tie it up? We'll move on, fight to live another day. But I'm a, a person that thinks that there's more than enough time for you to make up for your mistakes. And so even though the the, the Chiefs get the ball back, I think it's probably easier for Patrick Mahomes to probably score three touchdowns in a four minute span rather than one. Cause there's just a, a lot of different responsibility to, to managing the clock that way. But clearly that's not what, what transpired. And, and there's a bunch of other things that we're going to get into today as well, uh, of what added up to the loss, the one point loss. But there's just so many things that go wrong in the, the moment to moment ga- uh, plays of this game that you can point to any number of them.
1: I don't believe the two point decision is why the Raiders lost that game. Because the argument for kicking the extra point, or if you make the argument for kicking the extra point, the Raiders don't win the game just because they kick the extra point. They still have to score again at some point in that game. Kicking the extra point means you're now tied with the Kansas City Chiefs with 4.27 to go, and they're getting the ball. You're not expected to win the game in that scenario. No, A tie game against the best or second best team in the league, and they're getting the ball. Your, Your chances of winning are still going to be pretty low so that decision to me it wasn't a big deal I think I probably would have kicked if it was my choice
2: especially with how well Daniel Carlson does but
1: I don't think that that decision changed much I will say this this is my hypothetical read on the scenario the Kansas City Chiefs had just scored a touchdown to go up by seven Mm -hmm. and instead of the Chiefs kicking the extra point to go up by eight the Chiefs went for two They went for two to try to go up by nine and make it a two-possession game. They failed, so so it stayed a seven-point game. I honestly think Josh McDaniels went for two in that scenario because Andy Reid had just gone for two. And I think that Josh McDaniels wanted to have his moment of, oh, Andy Reid went for it, he failed, and I'm going to make him pay for it. I don't think Josh McDaniels did that because this gives us the best chance to win. I think he was like, ooh, this is an opportunity for me to beat Andy Reid. Not necessarily for the Raiders to beat the Chiefs, but for him to make Andy Reid pay for a decision Andy Reid made. And maybe
2: the ego got in the way a little bit. Like, we've all been in those moments, especially when there's a lot of pressure with with the hole that they've dug themselves with the record before it got even worse last night. But in the press conference, he said after, at least I I think he did, that he was uh, basically reading that there was a lot of momentum going in. I'm just just saying it's a real thing, okay? (laughs) That he said. Yeah, it's a real thing it's that a, he said. It, hashtag it's real nonsense. Things. It's absolute nonsense. But there's something to be said about matching the energy of your opponent. I think that was a huge deal that they got that defensive stop. That that conversion did fail because if they go up by that two score, then it changes a lot of the math. That like you're well, the expert at math in, that in the, terms of how it would play out the rest of the way.
1: The the main difference too is because the Raiders were trailing by one point instead of tied or even winning if they had gotten it by one point. Kansas City's next drive, they ran five plays. Two were handoffs and two were throws behind the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. Kansas City didn't throw the ball down the field on that drive at all. Until the third down play where Mahomes threw an incompletion when uh, he got blitzed. If Kansas City's losing or if Kansas City's tied, they're throwing the ball down the field. Like Kansas City got passive. And in a tie game or if the Raiders had gotten it, Kansas City's not going to be passive. And honestly, Kansas City's going for it. To me, the biggest... uh, decision mistake that any coach made last night was Andy Reid punting on fourth and three to give the Raiders one last shot to go down and win the game. If yeah. the Kansas city chiefs should have gone for it on that fourth down, if they convert that fourth down, the game is over. Instead, they gave the Raiders an opportunity to go try to win the game. And when you have Patrick Mahomes, you should take every opportunity to let Patrick Mahomes win the game. Um, I want to talk about Devontae Adams, which part. Yeah. So I don't know if, have you seen a great player have sort of a worse 10 minute span that is on field and off field? Because the end of that game for Devonte Adams on a third down play, he is basically uncovered, mm-hmm. has the ball in his hands, does get two feet down, but bobbles the ball, meaning one of his feet doesn't actually count as down because he didn't have physical the mistakes.
2: Ball. They happen all the time.
1: Devontae Adams effectively had a drop that would have put them. It yep. would have been a long field goal, but would have put but them he's in contention to kick a field goal. Then on the fourth down play, he and Hunter Renfro run into each other, that, which is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. That's like one of the funniest ways. To, the Raiders have lost the that, football game twice in one of the funniest things you've ever seen. Yeah. Renfro fumbling and it getting picked up in return for a touchdown in overtime. And then Renfro and Adams running into each other.
2: And we need to protect Renfro. This guy just got us a ran wrap, guys. Like, we don't need friendly fire in this situation. And
1: Adams on the play got jammed on the line of scrimmage, right? He didn't yeah. get the free release, which I'm guessing. I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing is what slowed them down and meant that they ran into each other. So dropped ball, run into your own teammate on fourth down. And then as he's walking off the field, going into the tunnel, a photographer or somebody <sighs> walks in front of him. And Adams, two-hand, shoves the guy yep. to the ground and then effectively does the uh, Allen Iverson step over of Teron Liu to the get him. the The fact that he room. didn't
2: stop, the fact that he didn't take a moment, I'm so sorry, like, just in that, I- I'm still kind of irked that he didn't find him after the fact he apologized in the locker room, he apologized on Twitter, he apologized in the press conference. I'm like, did you seek out this human being and find and Like, I know it's also tough because that he-, he has a job to do as well, but... We saw it from a couple different angles, right? There's the side angle where it looks like he literally shoves him. It looks really aggressive. But then there's the over the shoulder where you see the the camera guy just kind of enter the frame. And it's a what we would call in the hockey world a quick bang-bang play, right? It, there's not a whole lot of time for him to react other than him putting his hands up. But when you're in that emotional state of mind, then they fall forward and it becomes a little bit of a shove. The fact that he just kept walking is the problem to me. Because we see Tom Brady, we see Aaron Rodgers throwing, you know, tablets and stuff all the time. We had uh, players taking off their helmets and slamming against the ground in the last couple of weeks. Like we see outbursts from guys all the time, and so it's not necessarily about the outburst; it's about how you recover from it. But he he's going to get fined, and he's probably going to get suspended.
1: I'm I'm curious to see what the NFL does on a suspension for Devonte Adams because.
2: It just doesn't look good PR wise. That's the thing.
1: There have been a lot of comparisons to like somebody like Mike Evans who ran out and uh, shoved Marshawn Lattimore uh, on a dead ball. But I haven't seen and I'm sure it's happened before, but I haven't seen a good comparison to somebody that shoved like. A non-player,
2: right, and that's the and, the caveat, right? Right,
1: and like you're walking off the field, and it's somebody who's who's not playing, just somebody doing that's, their job. I don't know. I don't the guy he shoved. I don't know who he is, but I'm guessing a credentialed media member that's taking photographs. I think he had actually a mic in his hand. Yeah, so whatever he had a
2: boom. I saw. So that.
1: I, I don't know, but shoving somebody who's not a part of the game, I wonder what that changes for the NFL. Because yeah. it, here's the thing:
2: what's the difference between them and referees?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's it's not. It's not like the most egregious act no. that anybody's committed, to leaving the field. But
2: there was a confrontation. There was a right. physical confrontation, whether it was intentional or not.
1: And I wonder what the NFL does because I could honestly see them suspending Devonte Adams mm-hmm. on sort of a principle thing of, "Hey, you you cannot touch." Whatever. Fingers crossed the f- whatever that the NFL falls on the principle pays. sword this right. time. Right. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> I just, I don't know exactly what comes. Because if, if you told me today he's going to be fined whatever dollar amount they find somebody for this, yeah. and that was it, I wouldn't think that was a massive mistake by the NFL. It's,
2: it's just so fascinating to me how such a quick lack of success and how people react to that. I think just watching him the last few weeks very closely, I mean, he's obviously very frustrated. Nobody intended slash, you know, envisioned <laughs> this for themselves. Like we were all really excited. Like on paper, this is a really talented team and they've put themselves into position to win. Sometimes connection. Right. And 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 building up these giant leads and you're like, oh my God, or do we have something here? Can we put the foot on the gas? And it's just there there's the island of misfit toys and then there's the cursed place. The Raiders are in the cursed place. And we need to figure out who else is on this cul-de-sac. But like they are in that mode. And it just seems in the biggest moments, like you said, you run into each other in routes. Like, it's, this it's is clean stuff. This is this is textbook walkthrough <laughs> stuff. We've been I've hearing seen. about practice habits and being intentional and all that stuff these last three or three, four weeks. And I get it. Renfro's been out because he had such a bad concussion and stuff. But, like, the execution on the smallest of details, and that's where these wins and losses are, isn't there yet. It's
3: just, uh, doesn't that feel like the most, like, Raiders thing? Yes. Like, it's just, like... You should do
2: that ran into each other. Yeah.
1: And then immediately one of them's going to go get himself suspended. Right? So here's my my other thought on DeVonte Adams. I think he is having the realization that he made the wrong choice in the offseason. Oh, yeah.
2: <gasps> All right, I don't know if we're ready to go that far. He is
1: one in four. I am. He caught You're re-
2: you're ready to say that.
1: He's one in four. Oh yeah. Like he could have Green Bay reportedly offered him a very similar contract. It actually, I think, was reportedly more money than what the Ra- Raiders gave him. But he chose the Las Vegas Raiders. He wanted to be traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. He did not want to play in Green Bay anymore. And now this team is one and four. And I, we should probably get somebody that covers the Packers on. because Do we have to? Because Oh, yeah, you're a Vikings fan. God. Because I have just, internet up there? I Lonky? just want to ask. Have they ever seen Devontae Adams this frustrated? I don't, there's no way. From everything that I've seen, Adams has always been like, he always seems like he's been a great guy. And not Mm -hmm. only did he shove this guy, he spiked his helmet harder than I've seen anybody spike their helmet after a football game. He got uh, pissy with Adam Hill two weeks ago about a question about driving a pace car because the team was 0 3. The the softball. The
2: grass isn't always greener, but sometimes you got to give the the fertilizer time to sink in uh, like, the grass because you, be gotta, you gotta, the you gotta, you gotta look in. at it from a little bit. The way I look at the Devonte Adams, Aaron Rogers situation is that he saw Aaron basically just toying with that franchise and therefore toying with his future and said, I'm going to go with the more short thing. I'm going to go closer to home. I'm going to go throw uh have a catch with my old college buddy and we'll ride off into the sunset. I don't think Devonte Adams probably took, that dealer accepted that trade with the thought Raiders Super Bowl this year or maybe ever, but I would rather know who I'm with, where the direction is going, in a franchise rather than what Aaron was doing. And I think once Devonte basically pulled the flag and said I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot out of here, Aaron's like, oh crap, I pushed it too far because I think Aaron regrets what what's happened in the last well, year. Yeah, he's
1: throwing to right exactly, and so dogs. I just
2: think you had. A a big ego get in the way in Green Bay, and understandably so. Devontae's like, I'm I'm gonna separate myself from this. Thank you for for all the success that we've had, but I don't think he regrets the reasons why he made the decision. He may regret like the the decision in its essence right now.
1: Did he ever run into Jordy Nelson?
2: I don't think so. <laughs> all right. If there's one thing Jordy Nelson knew, it was his routes. Even We're, though he had a lot of concussions I too. Mean,
3: not when he came to the Raiders. Other didn't. than
2: that, well, I think maybe that is maybe that is the comment. This pipeline is not going well. <laughs> it's not. No, uh, it's not. We'll
1: get more into the Raiders later in the show. But coming up next, the Golden Knights start the season tonight. And hey, they finally signed Nick Haig.
0: I wouldn't say that because that's shutting on the door on something. He was here. He looked good when he was skating. So I assume, I know he was skating uh, back in Kitchener somewhere, whether it was with the junior team or on his own. So some of that may be dependent on what kind of shape is he in when he gets here. There'll be a little bit of newness for him, obviously. The other guys have gone through. uh, We've communicated some of that to him, but he's going to have to live it. So how quick will that get him up to speed? Um, But, yeah, the longer you're away, the tougher it's going to be. But that's the business side of it. We're kind of dealing with the guys that are here. You're locked in the
1: press box. The Golden Knights. Play tonight against the LA Kings, the season opener. But before we get to anything that's going to happen tonight, Nick Haig, as you heard Bruce Cassidy talking about, has finally signed a new contract with the Golden Knights. He got a three-year deal worth $2.29 million per season. He's not going to play against the Kings tonight, but I'd assume he'll be in the lineup at some point in the near future. Mm -hmm. Did Nick Haig win this holdout?
2: I mean if your qualifying offer was just a hair over eight point or $850,000, I'd certainly say so. And you know, the, the three year term is is certainly a, a little bit of a surprise as well, but you know, for, for a number of reasons that I certainly don't know, cause I wasn't in the go- negotiations, he's clearly a big part of this team and maybe they didn't really like what they saw as much from Caden Korzak in terms of being able to take that load and maybe the best thing for his development. And uh, you know, when it comes to Ben Hutton and and some of the other defensemen they have in the pipeline Uh, and ultimately, I mean, how many other defensemen are the, the body size of Nick Hague, right? Like he's, he's a very unique tool that this team could not just utilize, but weaponize, especially with how uh, some of the flashes of offensive brilliance that he showed. And he can block a lot of shots with that body.
1: I'm curious on, on why the golden Knights sign Nick Hague now. And I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm making one assumption that Nick Hague wasn't asking for significantly more money than this, right? That, mm-hmm. that Nick Hague was I think always they're in arguing over
2: like less than $500,000, Right,
1: that they were always in the ballpark yeah. of 2.29, 2.3 million dollars. Because like you mentioned, maybe they, they didn't like what they saw out of Ben Hutton yep. or, or Kate. And just Korsak. terms of
2: sustainability, not because they're bad players, but in just terms of the overall health of this team.
1: So those guys, would have been your sixth and then seventh defenseman one mm-hmm. of one of those two guys wouldn't be playing if they didn't sign nick Hague. one of those right. guys would be in the press box so it would have been your sixth and seventh defenseman not that there's an unimportant position, but you can probably get by, especially for a month or two. Yeah. Without your sixth defenseman being special, right? You can get by. In with theory, it. that was
2: also our plan last year. Then it got right. went very badly there, very quickly.
1: As soon as they get an injury, then yep. Hutton's gonna be their sixth defenseman. So there's gonna they're gonna have to get by at some point. So my my curiosity is is like why now? Because it apparently is not really a cap space issue. Because according to Puckpedia. They use their, all their long-term IR space, and they are good. This Their team is going to be cap-compliant yeah. with the roster they want to put out there. So they, they could have done this for salary cap reasons a month ago. They mm-hmm. could have given them two point two nine. But just think about dollars.
2: the level of scrutiny that this team is under, especially management for how they manage the cap and who, who they're signing and how the deals are because we've had to shed some players in the last right. couple years for nothing right. because of salary cap mismanagement. But
1: why not do this deal so Nick Hague is in training camp the entire time? Like that to me is the big question. If you're if you were willing to give him 2.29 million dollars, what changed yeah. from the beginning of training camp until now? And again, maybe Nick Hague was asking for like 3.5. Yeah. And Nick Hague finally came down. But assuming Haig was always asking in this ballpark what changed on the Golden Knights side to finally agree to this deal and basically make Nick Hague not be a part of the team through training camp?
2: Yeah, it, it's certainly interesting. And then you also have to look at it um, in comparison to what Zach Whitecloud signed because they've come up together through the AHL when they were with Chicago. They're two very, very different defensemen. But last year, Whitecloud signs at six years, $16.5 million, $2.75 7, uh, AAV. Hague's making more than him. Technically, but that's where the term comes in, right? That's where there's, yeah. he makes a couple extra hundred thousand dollars and he signs a three year deal, but ultimately Zach Whitecloud is a bigger part of this team. And that's why that deal was done first. That's why the deal is done to the term it was. And I think that's why the timing took as long as it did. I, I, I Nick Hag, I don't want to say that he's not a priority, but, but he's not a necessity always. He's something that you would like to have. And so there, that urgency, they are going to milk every single um, edge that they can when it comes to negotiations because NHL's a business and no feelings are involved.
1: I was well, because my thought was the Golden Knights are going to push this as long as they can. Like, yeah, the Golden but the Knights longer
2: are, you push it, the more disruptible it is. It's sure, just, it, there's but, always that hanging over and for the players that are here too. For a team
1: that has sort of a bad cap situation, right? Yeah. To me, it would have been beneficial for them to not give Nick Hague this deal unless they absolutely had to. Mm -hmm. And to me, them absolutely having to would have meant like, hey, Ben Hutton or Caden Korzak are just awful and can't be on the ice. right? Or they go through two weeks and they just have like two or three injuries to their defenseman. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, who's playing and we need Nick Hague. But I'm actually shocked a little bit because the Golden Knights, from a leverage standpoint, the closer they got to December 1st, that's the deadline Nick Hague had to sign by or else he would have missed the entire season and still yeah. been a restricted free agent next year. The closer they would have gotten to December 1st, presumably the less they would have had to pay. It's
2: Nick just Hague. unnecessary BS though. And, and I think that um, the cheeks of Mr. K-Mac are a little bit warm right now. And so K-Mac. I just think the less debris up in the air, the better, the more focused that you are, the the more decisive you are. Like so then Mike- they should have signed him before training camp. Well, I right, but they didn't. And so it's I don't know. I, I'm still trying to draw logic a lot from what they do. Um, but I'm certainly happy that uh Nick Hag is back with this team, that he'll be skating on the ice, he won't be in the in the lineup tonight for the opening game, but um, we'll see how he picks up the system too. Cause he's a young guy. He hasn't played a lot of games and it's a big adjustment. And so it could be a, a bigger challenge than a lot of us are, are thinking right now.
1: We've already heard about the golden Knights in preseason, oh, picking up the system and all that. Yeah. Is Nick Hague just is he able to play game 2, game 3 of the season and just be fine or
2: I'm less worried about like the system implementation I'm more worried about his legs and his lungs and and his oh, sustainability. Come on. He was with the Kitchener Rangers it's just a little bit, it's just a little bit different. I mean, it'll take even the guys that have been here a little bit of time because you have preseason games but nothing really matches that urgency of of regular season hockey just like how nothing compares to to playoff hockey either, but there's a certain level that you just don't necessarily push yourself to it stamina wise. And so the lungs are going to be burning, the the feet are going to be a little bit heavy, But when you start to get tired quicker, what happens? You start making dumber decisions and you start to regress in some of your old habits. And so I would expect a few more days unless they really, really need them. But you really don't.
1: I kind of hope Ben Hutton scores like four goals in the first three games. It's a
2: great problem to have. We call it the Cooper Rush effect, (laughs) right? Cooper
1: Rush effect. If Ben Hutton scores four goals, he'll be better than Cooper Rush. That'll be like more touchdowns than Cooper Rush has in four games. Yeah. All right. Coming up next, David Roth joins the show.
0: We're on month.
1: I lost count.
0: Dishwasher watch. David Roth from Defector is with us on the press box. Subscribe to the distraction on Stitcher and use the promo code DISTRACT for a free month or of Stitcher premium.
1: Good, Good morning, David. Hey, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so here's a, here's a question for you. You as a Mets fan. When Buck Walter asked the umpires to check Joe Musgrove, are you watching that uh, with embarrassment or are you yelling at the TV? That's right. Throw him out. Look at his shiny ears.
3: I had, so I had been, um, I'm a Mets fan as you noted, but, uh, first and foremost, I'm someone that looks at posts online. So I had seen a lot of tweets being like it took out his ears. So yours are weird. And it wasn't all from like the deranged, Mets fan Twitter people that I follow where it's just like somebody's name and nine digits and all they do is talk about how they want like Pete Alonzo to drive over them in a Jeep. Like there's a lot of weird people out there. In this case, it was clear that something strange was going on, but the Andrew McCutcheon explanation made a lot of sense to me, which was basically that it was a chemical irritant that Joe Musgrove had applied to himself so that he'd be able to pitch more angry that like that sounds like the thing pitcher would would do. You know, I was willing to let that go. The thing with that was that, but so by the time they check his ears, it's pretty clear that the Mets are going to get one hit in an elimination game, right? So I'm not my best self at that point, point. and <laughs> I had just hoped at that moment, like you know, it was a great year. I had you know a great time watching them. Uh, this is not the way I wanted it to end. But I was gonna try to, you know, find a way to be positive about it, and then they just snuck in some Met stuff right under the (laughs) wire. Like that is all anyone's gonna remember about this now is the manager coming out there and gesturing towards Joe Musgrove's ears while Joe Musgrove just fires a string of profanities at him. And it's not like I want them to remember the Mets getting one hit in an elimination game, either. But it's really uncanny. Like you can do so much to change his team. You can turn over the entire roster. You can blow up the payroll. You can hire a well-respected manager, and they're still going to be the team that gives you the ear moment (laughs) without fail. (laughs) Like in a loss or in a win, they just always find a way.
2: So based off what I'm gathering, you're a fan that doesn't completely say I've wasted four months of my life watching this team and and just burn this whole thing to the ground. You actually still have some, some hope for yourself, maybe some optimism that they can figure this out uh, in the off season.
3: That's a good, I mean, so what that is correct in the sense that, like, that is what I'm aspiring to. Like, what I am right <laughs> now is just, like, not, like, legible not your best or Like, a few months of therapy, and I get to the end of it, and I'm like, I just want to thank Jeff McNeil for everything. I mean, I kind of do. Like, I, they were really good. You know, like, the issue with them this year was that basically, you know, they turned into an 85 win team. When September started, and like that was frustrating because, like, those are the games I watched most recently. But I think the issue with them, and this is like going to be I'm not going to get too in the weeds of it because it's not a Mets radio show. They got David, about we it you about get your just dishwasher. by spending money, you know, like, and <laughs> had, that's good. Yeah. They still have a long way to go to become like a real baseball organization, though, and that, that's the harder part. And I don't know. You know, they're going to want to get what they want is to be the Dodgers, right? It's what everybody wants. And that means you've got this great payroll full of awesome major league players. And then you have this system that is continuing to churn out more guys than you can use. And the Mets right now have a decent payroll full of good players, many of whom are older, a lot of whom are free agents. And then the minor league system is still the same goofballs that have been running it for years who, like, you know, they have all the expensive cameras and all the stuff that fancy organizations have now. They just, like, don't know how to take the lens cap off. And so, like, that's the part where they got to try to find a way to build a bridge between the two of them. For now, I'm just going to try to enjoy the Major League team. I can't change any of it, you know, but you guys don't need to hear my my daily affirmations on this. You got any other questions? Yeah,
2: no, we're no, here no, for no, you, David we, deal, but, here. Yeah, no, D-
1: David. we are here. David. We ask you about your dishwasher that hasn't worked in almost a year. Like, we're this is actual sports. We're asking you about, and yeah. I, I have one more Mets question for, me. for you. Yeah, one more Mets question for you. Should there be some sort of uh, mandatory score? For the trumpets to play when Edwin Diaz comes in, or is it okay that they play when the Mets are down four nothing, about to be eliminated?
3: I thought that was a bummer. Like, I felt like they should have had the like, like a pitched down version of it, like the way when like every movie trailer's got like a spooky children's chorus singing, <laughs> you know, like lollipop or something. Like that should have been like they should have just played the like the sad theme By from the end way. of the Incredible Hulk or whatever. Like this was. I saw, I was at a game where they played it uh, for Diaz coming into and it was like a game that the Mets lost. They were just getting him some work and it was like sort of it was nice to hear it, but it was like hearing it in the supermarket or something. Like I was just kind of like, <laughs> oh right, the song from when the guy pitches. But they were like losing to the Marlins at the time. This <laughs> is like I don't think anybody's going to pop uh, response wise quite the way that you hope.
1: Uh, all right, I have a, I have a Mariners question for you because they had their situation with the Angels this year where both teams threw at each other. Phil Nevin, the Angels interim, interim, interim manager, got suspended, I think, for 10 games for that. They also had an instance this year where uh, Dusty Baker and one of the Astros relievers got suspended for throwing at some Mariners. And then in the postseason, Julio Rodriguez gets hit twice in the first game of that series why do people throw at the managers, or is this a case where if all you see uh, are people that suck or jerks, then maybe you're the jerk?
3: I mean, that's a really good question. The Mets had similar issues this year, and I feel like there's there has to be some element of it that, as a, a fan watching at home, is very difficult to pick up. Like, because for me, like, I don't want to get hit by a pitch, but if, like, if, I had if I could get hit by a pitch, so that Julio Rodriguez didn't get hit by a pitch, I'd do it. Like I'm like watching him play that much. It's not like I'm doing anything with my body. Like I'm just as soon as I got done getting hit with the pitch, I just lower it back down onto the couch and resume uh, editing blogs. But there's definitely it's weird. Like cause the when that happens over the course of a season, I've always been curious about like how that sort of plays out because there aren't organizations that like year to year where it's just like, yeah, everybody always hits the White Sox. No one knows. Like maybe it's the stripes on the uniform. But it's clear that there's like something sort of up here. I would imagine that uh the postseason would be the time to put that to bed. That like every whatever it was, like if there was any grounding in Animus, that at this point you're just gonna try to strike the guys out. Like even if you super duper hate seeing Julio Rodriguez or like or you just are mesmerized by Cal Raleigh's huge butt and want to throw a baseball at it. Like you got to stay on task. Like it's October now, and I, I imagine that that's going to go away.
2: Yeah, they're kind of a Cinderella story, especially with how they they uh, clinch the postseason. Those Mariners, but I'd also probably put the the Phillies in that. Who has more momentum to wield, and and whose opponent is a bigger challenge to overcome?
3: I mean, the to me again, having watched the Braves very closely at the end of the year, I kind of think they're going to win the World Series again. Like with respect to the Dodgers, I just think that like. I don't think the Phillies really have much of a chance against them. I'm not a Phillies fan. I am fascinated by the fact that they are playing as well as they did. And just handling the Cardinals like that is the sort of thing where I feel like they've got the thanks of a grateful nation on their side right now. (laughs) The Mariners really feel like they have the juice to me. I don't know uh, that they are good enough to get out of this. I don't know that, I mean, I don't think anybody in the American League is really good enough to get out of a, a series against Houston, but I do think that, like, Something really interesting is going on there, and uh, as juiceless and ready to lose as the Blue Jays seemed, I, I feel like the Mariners have more momentum. But this is like this is maybe my favorite part of the postseason right now because it hasn't sorted itself out yet. That there's still a couple of teams in there where you're just sort of um, wondering why they're there, how good they are. Even the Padres, I think, fit into this. That like everyone knows their strong suits and their their weaknesses, and like. Also, you know, without Tatis, it's clear that this isn't, like, the year for them, probably. And yet, you know, who knows? Like, you can't really rule anything out yet. Like, when we talk in two weeks, this is going to be the sort of thing where we'll probably be down to the teams that everybody more or less expects to be there. And that'll be fun, too, but this is, like, I think the last moment that it's still possible for things to get really stupid, and I want to, like remind myself to treasure that even if uh you know my team of choices is, is not involved treasure
1: that. is uh is dodgers padres going to be fun or is it going to be like uh 2020 when the dodgers swept them and then this year it was something crazy like they won 15 of 18 against the padres like is this actually going to be a fun series or are we just going to get yeah dodgers sweep every game was decided by six runs
3: it has a that kind of feeling to it i mean the the padres as good as they looked against them, or at least you know, as good as the pitching was, because it was basically Darvish and Musgrove. The rest of it was the rest of it. I don't think anybody's really like it's the Dodgers and the Braves for me, and then you know I'm probably underrating the Astros in that, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and keep doing that. Feels great. Uh, the Dodgers, I know for sure because they've been so good, and also because of the fact that they you know won 110 games, seemingly taking weeks off at a time, uh, like. They probably are just a good, you know, 15 percent better than any other team in the National League, and I just let myself forget it. This one does not feel like uh, it doesn't exactly feel like the Padres are going to, you know, have a chance. And yet, like I just watched Joe Musgrove one hit the Mets. Like, there's only so many ways you can beat a team if uh, the pitching on the other side is that good. So, who knows? I, I do know that the Dodgers dominated them this year, and I I kind of feel like maybe this that's the one that you can. If you're looking to, like, remove one series from your viewing diet so that you have time to, like, make yourself dinner or talk to your family, that would probably be the one that I would remove. <laughs> but I'm going to watch your first game eagerly and see if the Padres have more more fight in them than I
1: expect. All right. Uh, before we let you go, are you back home, or are you still hiding in Pennsylvania?
3: <laughs> we are back. Uh, I got back late last week um, from our defector off-site in the Poconos. I did, uh, I believe... Um, we had some pretty bad technical difficulties with that last week, but I did mention at the end of it that uh, the nearest place to eat to where we were staying was a, uh, like, I'm not even like a deli. I don't know what you would call it. It was called Rooster's Meat Barn, was the name of it. And as my last <laughs> act of being in the Poconos, we did go to Rooster's Meat Barn, and uh, it was really weird. They had um, these displays of, like, you could get for your valuable baseball cards like back in the nineties, like things you could mount on the wall and you could put your, whatever Howard Johnson rookie card in it. And they just had it. And they had left the cards in from like the, like placeholder cards from whenever they bought it. (laughs) So I went in there with a couple of coworkers and was instantly drawn to like the 1992 Don Russ Commons just hanging on the wall and I was like, yeah, this place is all right actually. like I was I was a little rude about roosters meat bar <laughs> I think I under- underestimated it.
1: Uh, when I heard the name of this, I just assumed when you ate there you would get like you know a whole fried chicken and then their only sides would be like bacon.
3: Yeah, it has that feeling to it. It was a really weird menu though because it was like they had breakfast sandwiches and you know they'd do you an Italian sandwich and stuff like that. But he definitely did like clearly someone back there was dabbling, you know, like they were just like, Yeah, we're trying pizza and it's, it's like a creative all the kitchen. Kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> but I got uh I got the weird um like sort of regional breakfast bologna of uh New Jersey and Pennsylvania. I got a pork roll, uh which is one of those uh, breakfast things that you eat, and then you're just thirsty for two consecutive days. But I don't, I don't regret it. I was really happy that I got the chance to to check in at Roosters, and I hope I have an opportunity to go back at some point.
1: I am glad a place called Roosters Meat Barn can exist. He's David <laughs> yeah. Roth from Defector. David, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, David. Thanks very much. Have a good day, guys. Uh, so there's David Roth. Um, I hope they just serve meat as a side. It reminds me the first time I went to Fazoli's. Oh, and they asked me. What I wanted for a side, yeah, and I asked what the options were, and they're like, "Well, you can get a slice of pizza." And college-age me was like, "Slice of pizza as a side? Pizza?
2: You've got this is the
1: greatest restaurant in the world." I would like chicken
3: alfredo, (laughs) breaded chicken alfredo, a huge amount of it, and this aside. Slice of pepperoni pizza. Yes. Oh, breadsticks were included. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead, throw <laughs> those in there too. I just want meat and carbs. Like
1: nineteen year old uh, me was like, "This was is amazing. the greatest <laughs> you restaurant." You were a furnace
2: at that point. You yes. could you could just exist and burn that off. I
1: had never been so delightfully shocked in my life as uh, when I found out pizza was a side. The
2: picture thing is hilarious. Where you have like the the placeholder things. It's oh. like, have you seen the switch with Jennifer Aniston and Jason Bateman? Of course not. Of course not. The, no. the, the kid collects picture frames but he doesn't want to put pictures in it he wants the frame or the pictures of the fake family because like he doesn't have yeah. a full family so uh, he's just like ah oh, I strange. must have these
1: that's unfortunate yeah oh it's well. a good movie though all right coming up next we'll get into a little bit of UNLV football because Doug Brumfield is probably not playing this weekend
0: ultimately um, I'm the head of the organization and ultimately I always repair, uh responsibility Listen, we will find, and we, and we may have that person right now, but I
1: believe we will have that person eventually.
0: You're locked in the press box.
1: So breaking news from TMZ.
2: Breaking news. The
1: photographer or the boom mic operator, whatever his position was, um, that Devontae Adams shoved as he was walking to the locker room, uh, he has filed a police report uh, against Devontae Adams. Uh, according to TMZ, authorities tell us the man claimed he was a victim of assault. They say he told them he suffered injuries, though they were thought to be non-life threatening. Oh, he was he was taken to a hospital last night. Apparently, yep. Uh, cops say they are investigating it and following completion of the probe will coordinate with the applicable city or state prosecutor to determine any charges. Um, so if you missed it, Devontae Adams after the game last night, walking into the tunnel to go back to the locker room, a photographer or somebody working uh, ran in front of the tunnel and Devontae Adams gave him a two handed shove to the ground and then
2: didn't stop. Yeah.
1: Stepped over. Just kept walked going. past him. Uh, I, I am a little curious on the filing of a police report. Is it simply not so much does he want this to be Devonte Adams getting charged, but is it simply a way for him to be yeah. like, this is this officially happened. The
2: legality of right.
1: it. Not so much. Hey, I want Devonte Adams in jail or, or whatever. would yeah. actually come if charges were pressed.
2: I certainly hope so. And like, it's really easy to take an event like this and just morph it and warp it into something way bigger than it is. Like ultimately, as I described it earlier, it's a bang bang play. The big thing for me is that he didn't stop and apologize like immediately or help the guy up. But there are, it's not like he's done anything insidious. Like there's guys that have done way worse things and are way what? worse people. And so, you, you know, it's, it's just so, especially with how badly things have gone. And as you mentioned in the first segment, which I'm sure is going to be podcastable quite soon, Um, you know, there there's a lot of frustration built up. And so you can kind of understand the mindset, but I just, I don't know. It's the nonstop. And for me, it's a problem. It's an on, It's an ongoing problem that needs to be addressed for sure, though.
1: Uh, I want to read part of his apology because Devontae Adams did apologize. Yep.
2: Immediately in the locker room.
1: To the media, right? Yep. He didn't apologize to the guy as he was laying on the ground in front of him. But yep, when he talked was to, the taken media, to the hospital,
2: maybe that's why he couldn't find him.
1: Uh, he here's part of his apology. I want to apologize to the guy. He ran and jumped in front of me coming off the field and I bumped into him and pushed him. That and then he ended up on the ground, that was just frustration mixed with him literally just running in front of me. I shouldn't have responded that way. Correct. The last sentence there is probably the only good part of that apology. Correct. Uh, Because there's a lot of sort of... uh, victim blaming going on there he yeah. ran in front of me he bumped into me he ended up on the ground like that's yep. being like a, the accountability
2: up, is only in the final sentence right, you that, should start your statement with that and then not victim blame at all right, because you're the person at fault
1: the last sentence is, is, is good i shouldn't yes. have responded that way but the he i love this the phrase he ended up on the ground as yeah. if the reason he was on the ground wasn't Gravity's because fault. Adams shoved him with two hands yeah to the ground so that was like partially there's, there's a part of that apology. That's, that's like, Hey, that's an okay apology. But the majority of it is kind of like, I don't know guys. He just, he ran in front of me. Like is Devontae Adams normal reaction to just shove somebody two hands to the ground when they get in front of him?
2: Uh, I, I certainly hope not, but we're in uncharted territory. This is going to be kind of a, maybe a bad question to ask. Is it a harder leadership opportunity right now for Derek Carr this season or last season?
1: Last season was harder. Yeah. They they lost their coach in the By definition of, the of all the,
2: yeah. the BS that was flying around and, and all that transpired, I agree with yeah. you, but it's a different challenge this year.
1: There are expectations to win this year. Yes. There were not expectations for them to be... I mean, people... I think their win total was like seven and a half or eight and a half, so it's not like they were bad.
2: It was the fact that they but, didn't have any expectations, I think, the reason why they found some success.
1: Yeah. But this year's team, they're one and four, and yeah. they were... Again, the odds had them whatever... Most likely to miss the playoffs, but they were supposed to be a contender. Yes. And they're one and four. Like, that's a horrible record. So, this is more about leading a football team that's underperforming. Last year was more about what in the hell is going on off the football field. Right. And so, it's different. This year is, this year I'd say is a more normal leadership role. In fact, I kept economy.
2: crashing
3: re- uh, rental
1: cars.
2: Yeah. It's just easier to go tunnel vision on a year like last year versus this year. You have to be open to everything because yeah. it's just normal problems. Yeah,
1: And again, they're one in four when they were expecting to be a contender and a playoff team. Woof.